Remember that feeling of joy, like a spark of light, being innocent and free, like an evening breeze on a summer night. But then a slight change as the north wind blows, the shame of sin as addiction takes hold, feeling darkness close as the doors start to close. The unrelenting march of winter has won. It seems the occupation has begun. White flags, hands up, darkness assumes the throne. But then a flicker of light in the dead of night. The opposition is nervous. They heard the wounded healer has joined the fight. Resurrection, the glimmer of his battle scars makes the night take flight. Insurrection, we're emboldened. That's why there's more of us now, right? We've been locked up, but he set us free. We once were blind, but now we see. We no longer retreat because we've tasted and seen. And now we believe that the darkness will not overcome the light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for the awesome God that you are. Lord, I just thank you so much for this journey that we're able to go on together. That, Lord, we're not in this alone, that we have each other. And, Lord, I'm just praying for continued victories in the lives of your people here. Lord, I pray that the same spirit that hovered over the waters in the beginning will hover over the waters, the darkness in our lives. That, Lord, you would speak life into our life and that the word of God would recreate, put his hands to our hearts, put, our, put his hands to our minds, our lives. And, Lord, he would continue the process of restoring his image in us. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes tonight that you might be lifted up. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. With each sign that we've been doing, they are leading us up to a fuller, greater picture of Jesus. And as we go along with each sign, people were given a better picture of who he was because that's really what the signs were all about, to reveal Jesus, that he was the Messiah, but not only was he a, the Messiah, but he was the only begotten of the Father, and that in him, only in him can we really truly have life. And what's sad is we get to the end of that signs and Jesus makes the statement, now do you believe? And what's sad is that many people saw all these signs and yet they still didn't believe. And it is my prayer in this series that as, as God has been revealing himself to you, that you don't allow these signs to go by without making a decision for eternity. And so here we come to our next sign. In John 6, 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get just a little. In our first three signs, we learn some important principles. Basically, I can't create the miracle in my life. I need to recognize my problem, get honest about my limitations, and bring that to Jesus. I can't. He can. I've got to have hope, belief that there is a power greater and bigger and stronger than I am. 
And then finally last night, the third, uh, I can't, he can, I'm going to let him. That basically faith, it's not just something that we think, it's something that we do. That basically faith is acting out the belief that we had from the previous sign. With every sign, we should, our, our faith should grow. And so tonight in our fourth sign, we're going to learn the principle of finding contentment in Christ. You see, when, when you have Jesus, I want you to know tonight, you always have enough. You always have enough. Interesting, this miracle is the only miracle with the exception of the resurrection that is in all four of the Gospels. John 6, 1, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. But see, friends, at some point in this process, we need to go from following Jesus to get something to following Jesus just to get Jesus. Nobody wants someone to follow them just to get something. I mean, we don't want to be in relationships with people who just want something from us. We want people to love us for who we are, not for what we do. God is no different than we are. At some point in your process, you got to go to following Jesus uh, to, to get something to following Jesus just to get Jesus. John makes the observation, the Holy Spirit has John right. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. You'll notice that with each sign, you will run into one of the feasts. It's because Jesus, you see all the feasts and all the sacrificial system and on all those cleansing laws and all those, that, that mosaic law that dealt with the sacrifices, the Passover, all were signs that pointed to Jesus. Jesus was the true Passover. Jesus was the true feast of booths that tabernacled with us in the flesh. And so can we see beyond the sign all the way to what it's pointing to? It's no accident that John mentions the Passover right before the feeding of the 5,000. You see, he's connecting two very important narratives to his people. The same God who provided bread for Israel in the wilderness at the Exodus is about to provide bread for his people again. And so lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that this people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Hallelujah, friends, Jesus already knows what to do. He knows what to do in your situation. He knows how to deliver your children. Jesus already knows how to solve your biggest problem. Hallelujah, our sin doesn't surprise our Savior. He is not surprised when you mess up. You see, Jesus called Peter knowing he would deny him. Jesus called Judas knowing he would betray him. Jesus called the disciples knowing they didn't have enough. 
power to do what he needed him to do. Before God created us, before creation, God already knew the cost and the headache and the heartache of creating us and saving us and restoring his image inside of us. And yet God did not hesitate for a second. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves you. God didn't have to think about it. You know, when the Godhead were talking about the pain and heartache of creating humanity, all three persons of the Godhead jumped up and said, let's do it. That's how much God loves you. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not enough for each of them to get a little. You see, Philip's faith does not measure up to the size of his God. One of the things I remember from my economics class in college It's pretty much the only thing I remember from economics in college. And that was that the principle and the problem of economics is that human beings have unlimited wants and they occupy a world of limited means. In recovery, we have this saying, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And you don't have to be an addict or in recovery to get this principle. Basically, economics, basically, I mean, just turn on the news. We live in a world of not enough. Proverbs 13, 25, it says, the belly of the wicked suffers want. Now, now, do you think Solomon knew something about enough? The guy had like 700 wives. I could have told him one is enough. In the parable of the prodigal, when the young son's inheritance runs out, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. Some translations say that he began to be in want. You see, no matter how much money you have, it's, it's not going to be enough. No matter how much time you have, it is always not going to be enough. No matter how much weight you lose, it's not going to be enough. Man, it doesn't matter how many followers you have on social media. If you are getting your identity and your sense of purpose from those followers, it is not going to be enough. Man, you can have the best spouse in the world, but if you don't know Christ, it's not going to be enough. You see, this is why you can have everything this world says you need to be happy and joyous and free and still be miserable. Because you see, friends, we were made for eternity. We were made for something through which this world cannot give to you. We were made for eternity. And until you live for eternity, you will never have enough. And that's why Paul says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. The belly of the wicked suffers want, but the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite. Second Peter 1.3, by his divine power, God has given us everything that we need. Second Corinthians 12.9 says, my grace is sufficient for you. I like the way the message puts it. My grace is enough. 
My grace is enough to get you through the depression. My grace is enough to get you through the problem. My grace is enough. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's not going to be hard. I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying that I'm going to do a little magic wand fix over you because that's not usually how I work. I'm saying my grace is still enough to get you through. The synoptic gospels give us some insight into this scene that John's gospel doesn't. This miracle takes place right after Jesus finds out that John the Baptist, his cousin, has been killed. In Matthew 14, 13, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But check this out, the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Man, every where Jesus went, crowds followed him. He's trying to be alone, but the, but the crowds keep on coming. John 6, 2 says it was a huge crowd that kept following him wherever he went. Mark 6, 31 says that so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. If you didn't know by now, people are needy. Amen? Anybody have anybody needy in their life? Hallelujah. People are needy. Man, people are needy. And, and, and Jesus is a whole lot nicer than me because I'd be saying the same things the disciples said. Go get your own food. <laughs> I need a break. I've been loving visiting with you, but I am an introvert. I gotta have a break. I gotta go to my closet and recharge. Man, we, you know, people are needy, you know, but Jesus knows that the only way to fill us is through him, so he never cuts himself off from people. Luke 9.11 says that Jesus welcomed them. Hallelujah. The neediest people in the world will not wear out Jesus. You'll wear me out. <laughs> You'll wear your pastor out, but you won't wear out Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus knows the only way that we will ever be satisfied, the only way we're ever going to have enough, is if we experience his life in our life. Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. I believe Jesus is saying the same thing to us tonight. See, people are hungry for hope. Man, when you study the statistics right now, they're terrible, friends. Addiction is off the charts. Suicide is up. Domestic abuse is up. I mean, you name it, it's up. We live in a world where people need some hope. They need some hope. They need to be loved. They need to be told, you can get through this. Don't give up. Keep going. There's a famine in the land, friends, not of bread and of water, but of hearing the word of God. And yet, how often do we often respond like the disciples? You know, let the people go get their own food. I don't got time for this. 
But in Romans 10.14 it says, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And check this out, and how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You don't need to call the pastor to visit that person. You give them something to eat. You don't need to delegate something to someone else. You give them something to eat. Something that really satisfies. Because, man, this world will never satisfy. Man, the church is called to be a little taste of heaven. Yeah, the church is, is called to be a, a, a taste of heaven, a place of hope, a place of change, a place of transformation, a, a place of love where justice rolls on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. This is to be a community of people who are living for the upside-down kingdom of God, who have a light in a world of darkness, who have a love in a world of hate, where people can taste and see that the Lord is good, that the Lord is all I need. People should leave this place saying, the Lord is all I need and he takes care of me. Hallelujah, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And so Jesus went up into the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. So check it out, he's up on top of this mountain and he's looking down He's looking down in life. You see, friends, perspective is everything. From Jesus' perspective, serving others is a privilege. From the disciples' perspective, serving people uh, is, is a problem. It's an inconvenience. But here's the thing, friends. The root of addiction, and really it's the root of sin, is selfishness. Addiction and sin, the root is selfishness. And anybody who has ever had family who struggle with addiction, they know that selfishness, that, that self-obsessed, that obsessive-compulsive behavior, the manipulating, the lying, the stealing that happens with addiction. But it's not just addiction, friends. It's everything. Sin, the root is selfishness. In recovery, they say that the most important person at any meeting is the newcomer because we cannot keep what we have without giving it away. Man, that should be the motto of the church, amen? The most important people in the church are the ones who are not here yet. It's the newcomer because you see, if the newcomer, and I love all of our, 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 our people who've been in the church for many, many years, and I praise the Lord for their support, but the reality is, if we do not continue to reach new people with the gospel, the church will die. The newcomer, you see, if there's no newcomers, then we can't share what God has blessed us with. We can't keep what we have without giving it away and so one of the foundations of recovery is selfless service. It's selfless service. You know, you had to get involved. You had to do things for someone else. 
You know, my sponsor would ask me to come early and set up chairs. And early in recovery, you know, I, I couldn't chair the meeting. I couldn't handle the money in the beginning. I didn't want to handle the money. And so what he, he'd have me come and I'd just set up chairs. But just doing something made me feel significant. You see, man, we need to be giving people jobs and empowering them and, 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 and letting them serve. We need to let our uh, young people uh, serve for the kingdom of God because we can't keep what we have without giving it away. And I'll never forget, I was only like three months clean and Marvin, my, my sponsor, came up to me and he asked me to make the coffee. You know, we have a, there's a saying in recovery, and that is the only thing you need to start a new meeting is a coffee pot and a resentment. <laughs> so he came and asked me to make the coffee, and man, I didn't know how to make coffee. And I told him, I said, Marvin, I don't know. And he reminded me very quickly, Richie, it's not about you. It's about serving someone else. It's about doing something for someone else. It's not about what you want. It's about how can you love someone today. And so I said, okay, I'm going to make the coffee. I'll make the coffee. Because the best way to get out of my problem, me, and into the solution was to serve someone else. So I made the coffee. Boy, did I make the coffee. Man, that coffee was so strong, people were levitating out of their seats. That evening, man, at the end of the meeting, remember, they gave out key tags. And the key tag you picked up when you surrender to a new way of life, if you relapsed, was the white key tag. So, man, people were probably contemplating, do I need to pick up a white key tag? Man, that coffee was so strong. And then I remember I drank it and almost choked. But when I looked around the room, guys, I saw a bunch of people, a bunch of people, this, this motley crew of different people choking down my coffee. And they didn't tell me, your coffee is lousy, Richie. They didn't tell me, man, have you never made coffee before? No, because why? My recovery, my feelings were more important than their taste buds. Now, they never asked me to make the coffee again. <laughs> but that, friends, is what the kingdom of God is all about. We need to allow people to, to, to serve and, and to give it away because we cannot keep what we have without giving it away. And if people do not get involved, if they do not feel important, they'll leave. So what if they mess up? So what if they don't do it right? You don't do everything right. You mess up. You know what I've found? That it is, it is not in my victories that I learned life's greatest blessings and, and lessons. I learned in my failures. When we don't allow people to fail, they never learn how to succeed. The kingdom of God is all about Loving others. You see people. Do you see people as problems or as a privilege? That person who gets on your nerves, they're not an inconvenience. They're an opportunity to practice prayer. 
Yeah, man, whenever I talk to my, you know, sponsor, I go to him and say, man, you know, you know, Marvin, this is really messed up and this is happening. He'd tell me, what a wonderful opportunity for practicing, for, for, for spiritual growth. I'd go to him about this. What a wonderful opportunity for spiritual growth. Go, every time I went to him, he'd say, what a wonderful opportunity for spiritual growth. So now when I have church members come up to me and they get on that pity pot, I say, what a wonderful opportunity for spiritual growth. <laughs> Man, I mean, that's, that people are not an inconvenience. They're not a problem. They're a privilege. They're an opportunity. God, help us have things, help us to see things from your perspective. You see, Colossians 3, 2 says, set your minds on things that are above and not the things that are on the earth. Christians, don't wait till Christ come to begin living for his kingdom. We are the kingdom right now. Set your minds on, on heaven, friends. In this dark, dark place, you've got to set your eyes on heaven. Because if you base your beauty on the world's perspective, you'll always feel ugly. If you base your wealth on the world's perspective, you'll always feel poor. If you base your intelligence on the world's perspective, you will always feel dumb. But here's the thing. The world's perspective is a fake, photoshopped, perspective. But if you would start seeing yourself from God's perspective, well then you can say as the psalmist, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Start seeing yourself as God sees you. His child, his beautiful child, his beautiful creation. John 6, 11, Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks. You see, friends, before God solves your problem, you need to start giving thanks. We need to praise him before he steps in. Jesus is giving thanks over what seems like not enough. Man, we need to start praising and thanking God for what seems like not enough. Thank God for the car that may not look like much, but hallelujah, you got a car. Thank God for the small house or the apartment that you have, because you see, at least you have a house, an apartment. Thank Him for the problems you have, because at least you're alive to have problems. Before God can bless you with more, you have to thank him for what you have. And we all think that our problems are always worse than everybody else's problems. Your problems come custom made for you. And if you were to take, if we were to all in this room take all of our problems and put them in a pile and look at everybody else's problems, we would pick up our problem and walk away from that pile. You can't handle my problems. I can't handle your problems. We all got problems. Start praising God before he steps in. Think about the irony of Philip telling Jesus, hey, Jesus, we don't have enough bread. He's talking to the bread of life. It reminds me of another story. Passover. This story is connected with the Israel in the wilderness. 
Exodus 15, 22, you have this really interesting story. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. They had just gone through the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness uh, of Shur, and they went there three days in the wilderness and found no water. And then the Bible says this, and the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Now, I don't know about you, but I would think that after God handled the, the, the water problem last time, they would have had more faith that God could handle their water problem this time. Because remember, every miracle that God does should lead to greater faith, greater belief. And so you would have thought that these people, hey guys, I'm not sure how God's going to solve our water problem, but three days ago, remember, he just split the Red Sea in half. So of all the things we got to worry about, water is not one of them. Philip, you don't need to solve your bread problem when you got the bread of life beside you. Man, if he can turn a rock into a water fountain... If God can turn manna, if he can make manna appear on the ground like dew, if he can rain down miracle KFC, <laughs> then he can turn a few loaves and fishes into a feast. God's got what it takes to solve your problem. You see, Jesus is enough. And so Jesus was sitting on that mountain looking below. You see, Jesus has the best view to see what people need. Jesus still has the best view in the house. He sees your needs. He sees your problems. He sees your pain. He sees everything. Hallelujah, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. God sees what you're going through, and he knows what you need. John 6, 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Man, I love Andrew. Andrew's one of my favorite disciples. We don't talk about Andrew a lot, but I love Andrew. I love Andrew because he's always bringing stuff to Jesus. Andrew brought his brother, Peter, to Jesus. Andrew brought this little guy's lunchbox to Jesus. We need more Andrews in the world. You see, Andrew doesn't know what to do either, but at least he brings what little he has to Jesus. You see, often in life, friends, we don't, we don't have any clue of what to do. And that doesn't get any better the older you get. You never get to this point. And, and, you know, we think, well, once I get to this point, then I'll have it figured out. No, you won't. Well, once I have kids, I'll figure it out. No, you won't. Often in life, we don't have a clue what to do. That's normal. We don't have what it takes. I can't. But the starting point of every miracle is to bring what little you do have to Jesus. You'll notice with every single sign, started with a problem. Which tells me my problems are launch pads for God to show up and show off. <laughs> Our impossibilities are opportunities for God to show off his abilities. 
You see, I believe Andrew picked up on the reality that whenever Jesus asks a question, remember, he's always already has an answer. Every question Jesus ever asked was a rhetorical question. Man, he made the earth and everything in it. There is nothing he doesn't already know. When Jesus asks a question, he's never driving at information. He's always driving at transformation. You see, I believe Andrew knew this, which is why the Bible says he spoke up. He did didn't understand how, but he speaks up. This is probably a stupid, stupid idea, Jesus, but here's this boy with the five small barley loaves and two small fish. And I just thought that maybe, just maybe, because of who you are, even though it is small, so incredibly small, that you might be able to do something significant with it. And so he speaks up. You see, Andrew has faith. He doesn't just sit there. He speaks up. Man, he stands up. He gets up. You don't know how you're going to make ends meet. The God of heaven does. Just speak up. God, I need you to step into this situation. Don't know how your relationship can ever be repaired. The God of heaven does. Just speak up. Lord, I, I don't know how you're going to repair this relationship but I, I know that you have the power to do it. And even if this relationship can't be repaired, I know that you can still repair me. I don't know how I'm ever going to get victory over this sin or habit. That's okay. Jesus does. Just speak up. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly, boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in, an, in, in a time of need. You see, Andrew spoke up boldly. I don't need to know how something is going to work out if I know who is working it out. The, the, the how is never as important as the who. <laughs> You, you know, very often throughout Scripture, when people are going through painful experiences and they're asking why, 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 very rarely, if ever, does God ever tell them why. You know why? It's because whys will not help the pain. You know, if you're going through a painful experience, knowing why it's happening, that doesn't help. And that's why when someone's hurting, church, you, they do not need you to go up to them to remind them. The devil is kicking them. Nobody kicks themselves more than we kick ourselves. Just love them. But you'll notice in Scripture, he never tells why, because whys don't help us. Instead of that, God will give a revelation of himself. You know, he didn't tell Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego why they had to go in the fiery red furnace. So what did he do? He popped up in there and says, you're not alone, I'm with you. On the lonely island of Patmos, God didn't tell John why all of the other disciples came to terrible ends and he was able to continue to live. So what happens? Man, God shows up on the lonely island of Patmos and gives a revelation of himself. I don't need to know why or how a situation is going to work out if I know who is working it out. And that's essentially what Habakkuk says as he's going through some difficult times. God's like, man, you think these times are hard? Harder times are coming. But when we get 
To the end, what, what does Habakkuk say? Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my God, my Savior. I don't need to know how if I have the who. Jesus is enough. When we have Jesus, friends, we always have something to praise God about. In recovery, when people would stop seeing the benefits of recovery and get on that pity pot, it wouldn't take long before someone would tell them to make a gratitude list. I made so many gratitude lists that first few years, and sometimes the Holy Spirit still taps me on my back and says, Richie, you need to write a gratitude list. There is something about writing. You see, the devil is constantly lying to us. And there is something about putting something on paper, writing down, you know, the gratitude and, and writing that, that you begin to see and become grateful. You begin to see it's really not that bad. You get to see that you're not alone. Man, when you feel bad, write a gratitude list. Praise God. Speak up. Yeah, but how far will they go among so many? Why don't you bring it to Jesus tonight and find out? You want to see what God can do with a little bit of honesty? Have you talked with someone yet during this series? Have you connected with someone to get honest about what you're going through? You want to see what God can do with just a little bit of honesty? You want to see what God can do with just a little bit of belief? You want to see what God can do with just a little bit of faith? Just one small decision? Bring it to Jesus and find out what he can do. 1 Timothy 6.17, go after God who piles on all the riches we could ever manage. Jesus loves to pile on the blessings. Just look at what he does with this bread and fish. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed it to them, to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. With Jesus, you always have enough. And when they had eaten their fill, uh, that word also can be translated enough. He told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now I just can't believe that John, the Holy Spirit has John write down that detail of 12 baskets. I just don't believe that's an accident. You see, I, I, it's, a, it's a basket for every disciple. Jesus commands all the leftovers to be gathered in order that nothing may be lost. And this same word for lost is used in John 6, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. I have heard people call the number 12 the kingdom number. You know, you have 12 tribes of Israel. You have 12 apostles. It, it represents the church in Revelation. You see 12s all over the place with the new Jerusalem descends. You see, just as Jesus had taken a small, insignificant bread and fish and transformed it into a feast, Jesus is about to take a small, insignificant group of ragtag followers and transform the world. 
You see, friends, Jesus loves using what the world thinks is not enough. That's why God turned me into a preacher for his glory. I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't have a choice in the matter. Matthew 14, 17, man, we have only five loaves here and two fish. In 1 Kings 17, 12, the widow says to Elijah, I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil at the bottom of the jug. When are we going to get that our onlys are always enough when God is involved? When they tell Jesus we don't have enough, I love Jesus' response. He just says, bring me what you have. You see, according to Jesus, whatever you have right now is enough for him to perform a miracle. The five loaves and two fish was enough to feed 5,000. The six ordinary containers was enough to transform the water into wine. The little belief the father had was enough to heal his son. The two words Jesus spoke to the paralyzed man beside the pool of Bethesda was enough for for him to rise up, just the hem of Christ's garment was enough to heal the woman with the bleeding issue. So gather up the fragments of your faith, bring the scattered pieces of your life, and come to Christ. It may seem small, you may feel insignificant, but when Jesus touches it, he'll transform it. My Power is made perfect in your weakness. And suddenly, friends, what happens is the, the, these people want to crown Christ king. Man, this dude can heal people and he can feed people. I got an idea. Let's make him a king. And the next day, the people just keep following Jesus. They want another miracle meal. And John 6, 26, truly I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, not because I'm your Savior, not because I'm going to Calvary for you, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You want to show up at church, get a little inspiration, and then walk out the door and leave the world to fend for itself. No, you give them something to eat. At some point, we got to stop following Jesus to get stuff. And start following Jesus just for Jesus. Because let me tell you right now, if Jesus is not enough for you, heaven will be hell. Because heaven, Jesus, is what heaven's going to be all about. Suddenly Jesus drops the bomb, the message behind the miracle. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. I want you to spend your energy seeking the eternal life the Son of Man can give you. That's enough. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Continuing, so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you that what work you do perform? Remember, friends, signs can't fix stupid. They are, the, the miracle bread's not even digested. And they're asking for a sign. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven right now. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
And notice what they say. They say, well, sir, okay, sir, give us this bread always. And then Jesus says, I'm the bread of the life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But what is so incredibly tragic is just as Israel grumbled at God when they didn't see water three days later, they grumble at Jesus when he says he's the bread. And what is really tragic is when you get to the end of this scene in John 6, Verse 66, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You see, they wanted the bread until they found out the bread was Jesus. The only thing that happens between wanting to crown Christ and deserting Christ was Jesus offering himself to them. The only thing Jesus has to fill us with is him. The only thing Jesus has to save us with is him. The only thing you bring to your salvation is the sin that killed Christ. Is Jesus not enough for you? Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. I don't know about you, but that's good news for this sinner because I got a mighty big appetite. Oh man, I always wanted more. I was never satisfied. I never had enough. It didn't matter how many drugs I got, it was never enough. One is too many and a thousand is never enough. It was never, ever enough. And, and maybe yours isn't with addiction, but maybe you can never have enough people's approval or an affirmation. Maybe it's you can never get your parents' approval. I don't know what it is. You'll never have enough if you're going to them for affirmation and appreciation. Because you see, we were made for eternity. And everything in this life runs out and falls short. The money runs out. The people will run out. Time runs out. Life runs out. We need to build our life on something that will never run out. God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory in Christ Jesus. You see, his riches are enough to satisfy you. His blood is enough to cover you. Man, the power of God is enough to transform you. His love is enough to pursue you. His grace is enough to forgive you. Man, the death is enough to restore you. His salvation is enough to save you. His resurrection is enough to raise you. Jesus is enough. But the thing about bread is that it's worthless unless you take it in. Bread, it has to be broken. It has to be chewed up. It has to be swallowed. The thing about bread is it's useless if it's not taken in. Man, you can smell it, you can touch it, and you can hang the bread from the rafters. But unless you eat it, it will not do anything for you. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The phrase for the life of the world here, it means in the place of. Do you realize what Jesus is saying? To give you life, Jesus had to give up his life. Jesus had to be broken so that you could bring him in tonight. Jesus had to be killed outside Jerusalem so that you could be brought into the new Jerusalem. Christ had to be deserted. The Bible says that his disciples all forsook him and fled. Christ had to be forsaken so that he could say to you, I will never forsake you. Jesus had to be crushed so that you can be filled up tonight. He was rejected so that you and I today, today can take him in and be accepted. Tonight, I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good.
Taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't leave this place without making a decision for eternity. Man, this, the signs of Jesus aren't for information. You want information? Go, go, uh, go somewhere else, man. Go find a, a therapist. Go find an inspirational speaker. But if you want transformation, you come to Jesus. You make a decision tonight. You text overcome to the number on the screen. Don't wait for tomorrow because tomorrow may never come. This world is loaded with empty wells. You text overcome to the number on your screen. Do you see the signs that Jesus is shining? You can't do this alone. You can't do this by yourself. I don't know what your decision is that you need to make to talk to someone, to be baptized. Maybe it's to become a part of this family of faith. I don't know what your decision is, but you need to connect with the life source. You need to connect with the power of Jesus Christ. You make that decision today and surrender all to Jesus right now. You bring Jesus in and allow the miracle to begin in your life. Thank you for listening to The Darkness Will Not Overcome, a production of Pioneer Memorial Church in collaboration with Andrews University Center for Faith Engagement. To learn more about Pioneer Memorial Church, visit pmchurch.org. If you or someone you know would like to talk to someone about a mental health or substance abuse issue, please call the National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP. Thanks for listening. We hope you join us again in the future for another Pioneer Podcast.